Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Good morning, beautiful people. 
I want to thank you for joining me here this morning. I'm Nube Brown, your host of Prison Focus Radio on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. First, I want to say that we are in our fall fun drive, and I really want to encourage you to um, support this one-of-a-kind, beautiful, absolutely beautifully local radio station uh, here in San Francisco. Uh, But of course, you can live stream it all over the world. Uh, But please make your donations. Two ways you can do it online, by credit card and by PayPal. Just go to kpoo.com. If you would like to donate by check, of course, all of these are tax deductible and you can make your check payable to KPOO and mail it to KPOO, P.O. Box 156650, San Francisco, California, 94115-6650. Please help us keep this uh, radio station alive. I know of nowhere else where you will get such fantastic music, commentary, um, and also this very precious hour of um, prison-related issues. We are in a very um, crucial time, I think, uh, where we are bringing to light um, what is truly taking place in terms of legal slavery taking place within our prisons. So um, with this call to make a donation to this radio station, KPOO, it's also... Um, my expression of gratitude for being able to host, again, this very precious hour. So your um, generosity is greatly appreciated. Whatever you can donate um, is absolutely welcome. All right, we are going to get started with the show. Uh, We are going to continue with our tribute to Paul Red. Um, our beautiful comrade Mume, who transitioned to the ancestors on June 19th, Father's Day, Juneteenth. And so we are grieving his transition. We love him. We know he's still with us. Um, but uh, more tributes will uh, continue to come in. So you will hear uh, some of that. And then we're going to hear various commentary, excerpts on commentary around uh, slavery. Um, historical references, very current references, um, and also in the context of uh, the bill being killed, ACA3, the End Slavery in California Act, uh, again being killed uh, by not being able to be brought to the floor for one final vote. And um, those senators that uh, blocked it uh, first voted against it after five votes through committees that unanimously voted in favor of removing the slave the uh, the slave language from the U- the California constitution um that finally made the senate floor and these five senators senator nielsen senator o- ochoa bogue senator grove senator dolly spelled d o h l e and senator glazer all voted no, um, encouraged by our governor, who is seeking a uh, presidential nomination uh, or seeking the presidency. So keep that in mind for all of you voters out there. And um, 
encouraged them to uh, bring a price tag to uh, why um, ACA3 should be voted down. Uh, first, cost for uh, the printing to place it on the ballot. So we didn't even get a chance to vote on this, people. And secondly, that it would cost $1.5 billion to pay the people that are working under slave, uh, under the uh, slave label, under slave conditions, if you read your 13th Amendment exception clause. So we're going to be hearing some commentary around slavery um, in 2022 that is uh, taking place uh quite clearly in our prisons. And with that said, I want you to know that I understand that there's some, um, I, I, I want this, this information that comes to you because I know that uh, y'all hear me from behind the walls, especially if you're in San Quentin. And of course, there's formerly um, enslaved people that are out here and your families. I want you to know this is about us educating one another, empowering one another with the truth, with the history, with with the, the knowledge about what's truly taking place. And this is about us building the power of the people. Just because you're behind the walls doesn't mean you don't have power. And I, I hope that this information that we bring here, again, is for uplifting the truth and the and the the fire that is in us and in you and all of us to continually fight for our liberation and our freedom. Because if y'all ain't free, we ain't free, period. So this is meant to be, um, as, as heavy sometimes as the information is, it is meant to inspire and agitate and educate and educate and educate uh, because we need it out here as well. All right, we are going to get started with the show. Um, and uh, yeah, here we go. All right, if you go to uh, the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspapers website at www.sfbayview, you can read the tribute uh, that we put together for Paul Red called Songs of Tribute to Paul Red, Home with the Ancestors. So I am going to read now one more tribute. Um, what I am calling songs to Paul Red that came through after uh, we had printed the newspaper. So I want to add this one here now. And like I said, we will be, um, as they continue to come in, we will be reading them here on the show. I would like to say a few words about the man I had the honor and pleasure of knowing. We met in prison behind the lines. I had heard of him way before we actually met as his notoriety preceded him. We connected from the start, forming a lasting bond of trust and friendship. He was an astute student, first in law, what many refer to as a jailhouse lawyer. He helped many prisoners attain their freedom over the years, as well as helping to bring much-needed change and reform to the prison system as a whole. A couple of things in particular was helping to initiate the California hunger strikes, also the ceasing hostilities within the prison system. His input was most valuable. Unfortunately, the vast majority of his 44 years in prison was spent in various security housing units, also known as shoes, throughout the system. He had not only a passion, but equally a gift for helping people less versed in law behind the walls. 
His paralegal status afforded him the opportunity to spend countless hours dabbling in the science of law in pursuit of justice, in which law and justice aren't the same. I will dearly miss my dear brother, my dear friend, and mentor, a man of, a man of hope, truth, and vision. Rest in power, comrade. Richard Johnson. All right, I am going to sneak in a poem here that I read by Robert Jones, who is a prisoner at uh, Pelican Bay State Prison. And Pelican Bay State Prison, um, as well as Corcoran, though, um, is where the, uh, the, the decades of solitary confinement, the torture of solitary confinement, were taking place, prompting the uh, historic California hunger strikes that Paul read and uh, Richard Johnson, who I just um, read his song to Paul read, uh, were uh, suffering uh, this uh, brutal crime against humanity against them. Uh, so I'm going to I I had re previously recorded this for a Freedom Songs a mixtape that was put together by the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper as um, for the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper uh, as a fundraiser by all of these artists coming together. And I got to participate reading this amazing poem, His Last Words, by Robert Jones. Here we go. His Last Words, a poem by Robert Jones out of Pelican Bay State Prison, 2020. I had to find a way to grieve after hearing that brother say, I can't breathe. Because what could be more thought-provoking than watching a helpless man choking while virtually experiencing what could have been your own death as you watched him take his last breath? Was this America's finest and at its best? When the killer can boldly look back into the camera at you like you could be next? Now you've gotten a real glimpse at why even after 400 years of blood, sweat, and tears, people of color are still waking up in America with deep concerns and legitimate fears. United we stand and divided we fall. What does that truly mean if there's no equal justice for all? What hypocrisy you call this democracy, claiming to be this great shining example, while the most fundamental rights of some of your citizens continue to be trampled? Then you want us to sing, let freedom ring. When the killing of an animal disturbs your conscience more than the brutal killing of another human being, that's just obscene. Your cold-blooded disregard thus far has dismantled your own national anthem. America the beautiful, what happened to the dream? Could it be that it was only a smoke screen and really only meant to benefit just one team? You and Lady Liberty are draining our energy. Got us fighting your wars, then turn around and treat us like your enemy. You made us a promise that all men would be treated equal, but all you've ever really given us was is a Gone with the Wind sequel. We don't want your sympathy, but your lack of empathy for other people's suffering and pain has got you showing up on the 4th of July wearing the prettiest dress with the ugliest stain. Where's the investment in our communities that lack opportunity and where our unarmed children are being murdered with impunity? We need more than reform. We need a new norm that abolishes that legal trickery called qualified immunity because there's just way too many names to mention who've fallen victim to this modern-day lynching. We're tired of the city's mayors offering their thoughts and prayers. We want people in these positions that really care because the only way your hands can remain cleansed 
is if you stop looking at us through an indifferent lens and start coming up with some viable solutions to putting an end to these public executions. Your cities are in upheaval behind this evil, yet you're showing more concern for your statues than you are for your people. So stop thinking that your financial settlements can adequately compensate for each time they show up at our doorstep with aggression and hate. Because make no mistake, the payout doesn't even equate to the community of devastated families tragically left in its wake, nor begin to cover the permanent cost to a grieving mother who's had to bury a child that she's just lost. To the dearly departed, we are brokenhearted, mourning your deaths, and that's how this all got started. Wanted you to know that we truly valued your worth, and millions of people are standing for you because they too can feel the hurt. Many faces from multiple races are taking a stand and taking their places, making it be known that these events unfold, that they had chose to be on the right side of history for when the real story is told. They see that the system can't be trusted and they have become disgusted with the unbalanced scales of American justice. You see, this isn't just some disgruntled chatter. Your beautiful black lives have really mattered. So they've taken to the streets just for good measure, demanding change and objecting to the absence of our real national treasure. A brutal killing sparked global outrage, exposing the racial injustice on the world stage. It's time for a new chapter, and this is going to be the first page. Because none of you brothers and sisters should have ended up in the morgue for just jogging down the street or going to the store. So these words were written for you and inspired by George. We're going to keep on fighting for you and praying to God Almighty for you and raising our voices up loud enough to be heard from the streets of Long Beach, California to Johannesburg. And when they ask us what's our problem, we're going to tell them that they have refused to solve them and that the reason civil unrest in America is at its highest peak is because the most powerful words in a humble man's life would turn out to be the last words he'd ever speak. Rest in peace, George. Big in life, larger in death. When they took you away from us, it took our breath. Next, we are going to hear an excerpt of an interview that Sasha Lilly of Against the Grain did with historian David Rodiger. And the name of the uh, interview or the title of her interview is Did Lincoln Free the Slaves or Did They As Much Free Themselves? I encourage you to listen to the whole uh, interview by going to KPFA's Against the Grain, June 20th, 2022. Here we go. David, the conventional history of the Civil War holds that slavery in the U.S. ended from on high as the slaves were freed by Lincoln. What do you think is missing from that story? Well, I think there's always been a counter narrative to it. I think that African-American historians in particular uh, talked about emancipation from below for a very long time. Now, but that's what's missing is the participation of slaves, the leadership of slaves. Um, when the war started 
Frederick Douglass very bitterly called it a war to preserve slavery on both sides in his abolitionist uh, paper, Douglass's Monthly. And what he meant was Lincoln didn't want to free the slaves if he didn't have to, uh, thought that the war was about union. The Confederacy clearly didn't want to free the slaves, was fighting uh, for slavery as a way of life. Uh, so Douglass had this really bitter characterization of the war early on. But then at the same time, he had this quote where he said, uh, this time I think we're to be freed not by the captain but by the crew. And what he was reflecting on was that even though the kind of on high position early in the war was that the abolition of slavery immediately uh, was impossible, Douglas knew slaves would want to would see the war as being about about their own freedom. And sure enough, within uh, days after the start of the war, uh, enslaved people started to find their way to Union encampments, and they'd present themselves to rank-and-file soldiers, and then the rank-and-file soldiers would have to decide what to do with them. And in enough cases, the rank-and-file white soldiers brought them to a commander, and all of a sudden this was a problem for the war effort. So it was that motion of enslaved people toward what they thought the war was about, toward making the war about freedom, that really transforms the war from something that didn't have a moral uh, mission to something that was about emancipation. Well, what did that self-emancipation of the slaves look like at that time, both as it relates to the Civil War itself and on plantations and in, in the workplaces where these people were? The great first historian of this process is W.E.B. Du Bois, and Du Bois called this motion of, of hundreds of thousands of slaves the general strike of the slaves. And when we think of general strikes, we usually think of something that's official and called, or if it's spontaneous, it's based in a, in a labor movement. This was much more uh, cobbled together than that. But it involved, Du Bois thought, between half a million and a million enslaved people out of four million uh, who made their way to freedom in one way or another. But then Du Bois added something really important, and he, he said that the millions of people who stayed on the plantations also were part of the general strike insofar as they refused to do work in the same way that they had done work in the past. And often their masters, their master's sons were off at war. Or their lives were uh, disrupted in, in uh, many ways so that the old way of bossing slaves was also not not there. But the the idea of the experience of the general strike of the slaves is both these people who left the plantation and people who uh, refused orders on the plantation. And in both those ways, the Confederacy was deprived of labor and was deprived of spirit, of the idea that they knew how the world worked. And they a lot of masters thought their slaves were sure to be loyal, or at least professed to think that their slaves were sure to be loyal. So that there was this real crisis uh, created by enslaved people. This is where we start to shake off this idea that Lincoln freed the slaves. And I think more and more people are starting to understand that. The crew is all of you behind the walls. And you've always been fighting for your freedom. 
We have always been fighting for our freedom. It's always been about emancipation. It's always been about freedom. And the response to that from this white, pathological, patriarchal, capitalist, imperialist nation has been in resistance to that. It always is always to keep some level of slavery. And you can see it in the 13th Amendment Exception Clause. New iterations of slavery have taken place all the way up until it made its way into the, the penal institutions, the prison industrial slave complex. Give us some stories because your book, Seizing Freedom, does draw on historical records of uh, accounts of the self-emancipation of slaves. Well, give us some examples of what this looked like on the ground, on plantations, and beyond. Well, for example, um, the most courageous wrenching decision to run was made by enslaved women because uh, for two reasons. One is that they often had childcare responsibilities on the plantations and to leave without a family was hard and to leave with a family was hard. The second uh, reason was that uh, commanders uh, of the Union Army very quickly uh, decided that they preferred to have male uh, enslaved people come over to their side because they could put them to work in a way that uh, was legible to the, to the Army. So the most dramatic stories for me are the, the women who steal their mistress's dress and, and then also steal themselves at the same time. This kind of motion out into a world where you don't know uh, and you're exposing yourself to all sorts of dangers uh, and really leaving a whole way of life behind. So those stories are very, very dramatic stories. The stories of Harriet Tubman uh, rescuing slaves are very dramatic stories. Um, the story of Robert uh, Smalls, the South Carolina boat pilot uh, who steals a ship uh, in, in disguise, uh, makes his way and takes advantage of the skills that he had as an enslaved boat pilot to bring not only himself to the Union Army, but the ship also to the Union Army. Um, the songs that surrounded it were very dramatic. A song like No More Auction Block, which Dylan still sings from time to time in concert, was kind of the first history of emancipation. And slaves sort of announced all of the things that they were getting rid of, driver's lash, uh, auction block, uh, but also um, pack of corn, no more rations, no more ability to know where your next meal was was coming from. So the drama is captured in a in a thousand little situations. Tell us more about what happened to the slaves who then joined up with the Union Army and how that changed during the course of the Civil War. But the original response of Lincoln and of most of the generals was to say this to still say this is not a war of emancipation, so you can come here all you want, but that still doesn't confer freedom on you. So the word that was used to describe these uh, people who had fled uh, over to the Union camp was contraband in the same way that if you uh, captured a, a pen full of uh, Confederate pigs, they would be contraband. They would be property seized in the course of 
of a war. And so that's all the more that, that uh, slaves were until pretty deep into the war. They were just property still, but now property in the hands of a Union um, commander. They were often asked to dig in battlements. Uh, my friend Andrew Zimmerman is doing a fantastic book on German radical immigrants and enslaved people as agents of emancipation uh, in in the, the Civil War. And he, he has this history of how the Mississippi River was re-engineered using formerly enslaved labor to enable uh, Confederate blockades to be circumvented so that there was this whole part of the war that we don't yet know very much about in which the Confederate blockade wasn't unsuccessful because it was attacked, but it was unsuccessful because enslaved people built a channel uh, that ships could use uh, instead of the, the normal channel of the, of the Mississippi. So there are all of these ways in which early in the war, it's the labor of the enslaved person that um, is, is critical, and then the, the denial of labor to the master. So both those things go together and are a big, big plus for the um, Union Army. But as uh, time goes on, it becomes uh, more and more clear that the South is putting up a fight. And the biggest gain that the uh, Union can have is to emancipate the slaves and to use them as soldiers and sailors. And so in the latter part of the war, over 100,000 uh, formerly enslaved people directly fight uh, on, the, on the Union side. The magnificence and power of our people continually being used and and then disregarded. And this is why the struggle continues. But it's also the reminder of that magnificence, of that power. And we have all of that knowledge within us. And I think we just need to get real about the relationship that is taking place here and to look towards each other and build the power of the people to gain that liberation to continue the emancipation of our people and, um, yes, and create this world that we want of self-determination in a place that, um, well, first of all, the abolition of slavery so that we can get on with our beautiful selves. All right. Uh, we are going to take a musical break and come back with some more commentary. All right, this is On and On by Amplified featuring Malcolm Lee. I crack my knuckles on the glass ceiling, still alive, still breathing, still pushing all this time, I can't believe it. Still got love, but that word has lost meaning. Still got love, but my nerves have fought demons, caught up in the stress of my heart. Staring at this phone all alone while my world falls apart Like, where's the gratitude I had at the start? Like, where's the attitude that gave me this art? I lost myself in the romance of being the man Instead of being my own man and being the man I cast the judgment, spoken hate then and now And acting like the energy won't come back around Or what's the matter when we look eye to eye When you staring in the mirror and that truth comes alive I sit still and reflect on life Like what the hell am I doing? And I'ma get this right. I used to suffer anything but love when said and done. 
love, but words won't reflect the action. And the men above are just loving the habit. Tell me if we have love, we're assassin. Is it something we imagine? Did we ever really have it? Did it ever really happen? And can you even grasp it with the power that they have and not handing out? If that's their love, I'll take a different route. And love me and all things that I surround from the ground up, the moon and stars into the ground. My foundation and everyone that I'm around. See, that's the only way that we gon' change it now. If you my people, you my people, then we wanna free the people. Regardless of the beliefs, you be a law of the streets. Our law is cause you seek. The law of the God, even if you sheep, we just want your heart. It's too soft for anything but love when said and done. And if I'd known what I know right now, then I'd never run. No, I can't change all the things I said or what I've done. I just keep it moving on and on and on. I just keep it moving on and on and on. Too soft anything but love when said and done. And if I'd known what I know right now, then I'd never run. No, I can't change all the things I said or what I've done. I just keep it moving on and on and on. I just keep it moving on and on and on. Life's too soft for anything but love when it's said and done. All right, you are on. Uh, my name is uh, Andre Tennant, and I'm being held at uh, Wisconsin Secure Program Facility at Max Facility. My, my current status is more about just updating uh, the whole interview from uh, January 13, 2022. I'm still being housed in solitary confinement, but I'm moving through like a phase program. It's like a uh, administration confinement program for people that's, that they call quote-unquote high risk. So uh, I don't really view myself that way, but since I'm incarcerated, even though I'm innocent, they really don't care about more like you're innocent. It's more like a, a chain of command. It's more like a a process protocol. So mm-hmm. I'm almost up out of, of segregation again. My last situation where I kind of went backwards because I had a surgery and I made a mistake and ate breakfast, even though I knew I didn't pose to eat breakfast, but I was almost out the hole. So a new correction officer gave me the, a breakfast tray and I had to go backwards. We're raising hell a little bit, not too much, and I almost got up out the hole after 12 years. So now I'm just more like just going straight through the program now. So I can just get up out of the segregation so, and return back to general population. All right, Andre went on to tell me about some of the altercations, um, gang validations, false accusations that were thrown at him, um, which of course happens throughout uh, the prisons, uh, throughout this whole country, um, to... Uh, kind of set people up to to be uh, violated and um, because then they want to, uh, in Andre's case, and in most cases, I hope for all of you that are listening behind the walls, that, you know, you file grievances and um, you, you don't accept these uh, 
these arbitrary accusations and trumped up charges against you. And that sing- signals you out that get that puts a target on your back. And so uh, Andre had been dealing with with some of this. He had been targeted now because he was filing grievances against his treatment. So did they did they say you're getting 12 years in the hole or are they just are they just arbitrarily holding you, you know, day after day, month after month, year after year? No, it's more like they got this, this it's called a ministry's retirement program. So any anything that you know what I'm saying that you it's kinda of designed for you to feel. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's, so it's majority of black men on ministry's retirement. So any small thing you do mm-hmm. not standing for count or you got you ain't got the light on for you know for count or uh, just any small thing, so it will set you back another year because the program is uh, fifteen months. Mm-hmm. So any, you know what I'm saying? So I've been I've been doing the program for twelve like twelve years over and over and over and over, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting back thinking that they let dangerous inmates out of out of seconds killing the police officers. And I'm knowing I'm gonna say this though, and this ain't nothing I'm making up. I'm going to the to I even read their cases. You know, on the internet or uh, or, or Westlaw, which is a computerized system in the law library. So I know they stitching to get out the hole. I know the lingo. I've been in prison long enough. Thirty some years. I probably look young, but I ain't young. So you know what I'm saying? But I ain't saying this to them because you bring it to their attention. They play like, oh, we don't, we don't do that. But I'm seeing through this. These is game. These people that label being game members and game leaders, uh, uh, game leaders, and having you know what I'm saying status in prison. But all the while they're in a program and they coming out and they talking about some murder, right? And the nine times out of ten, when you say that, you go forward and you go backwards. So I know for a fact that a lot of these dudes that snitch to get out of uh, 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 administrative confinement status. Some of the COs told me. But they ain't got to tell me, I keep doing it. If you ain't finishing the program or administration confinement, there's only two ways you get about it. You got a severe mental health issue, issues, and they send you to a, uh, uh, to a mental health institution, or you snitch to get about it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just been simple. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And they let somebody else off, off what, a month ago, he killed two police officers back what, in the 80s, and they don't even like the dude. Sent the dude to the federal system, sent him back. And this is modus operandi in prisons, right? This is how we keep our people unfree, though, especially those that speak up. Those that, that scenario that Andre just spoke about, this that information is for all of us out here to understand what is taking place with our people and why this system is so dangerous to us, and we have to start decolonizing our mind, shaking ourselves out of this conditioned, numb way of thinking about what is taking place in prisons and why prisons exist. Okay, so let's, um, yeah, so let's, let's uh, just kind of give the wrap up and, you know, and tell us what it is that you want us to pay attention to, um, you know, moving forward. Uh, I just want to say, you know, uh, last but not least, but, uh, I want, I want, I want America and society and the community to know that this is all about uh, uh, segregation. When you see the word segregation, when you come to prison, this is what it is. So 
how to take a five minutes, how to take five segregation. Got whites over with whites, blacks over blacks, Latinos over Latinos, Native American, Native American. So this is what actually what segregation is. It's not just population, but this when you see in prison, like you see what prison is, it's population. So I want I want to raise awareness just this one thing and leave it like that. It's mainly black men and black women that's incarcerated, and a lot of times. They probably committed a crime because they didn't have no 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 uh, no way of life or no no guidance to life to 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 survive in in in, uh, in the community. So that's why a lot of times, then when they do come into you, it it, it it turned into this more about you know what I'm saying. I, now I want to you know really really put the the real the finishing touches on it and put you in the box, which is the hole. Then when you do something, we're going to put you in a program that's designed to keep you buried in the hole. This, this is more about the, 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 the empowerment of a, of, of, of a movement of being enslaved all over again. All right, we are going to get back to ACA 3, the End Slavery in California Act. And we are going to hear now from Sam, Samuel Nathaniel Brown. Uh, he is the original, or he is the author of the original language uh, that uh, became um, ACA 3. And um, we found ourselves on an, um, a live Instagram being schooled by him while we were all waiting to uh, have our bill come to the floor. Um, and we were ended up being on there for four and a half hours. Uh, but they adjourned, and then the the uh, bill was supposed to make it to the floor the next day, and that's when uh, the tragedy struck when our elected officials uh, uh, basically blocked its uh, a- a- arriving to the floor to be voted on again. But what we are going to hear is an excerpt of uh, Samuel Nathaniel Brown uh, just speaking to us as we are waiting for our bill to uh, come up for a vote. Samuel Nathaniel Brown is the co-founder of the Anti-Violence Safety and a- Accountability Project, also known as ASAP. He is also the co-chair of the California Abolition Coalition, both in conjunction with his wife, Jamelia Land Brown, which some of you may already have heard of. And he is also the original author of the language, which I said, which eventually became ACA3, the California Abolition Act. So here is uh, just, uh, uh, here is Samuel just speaking as he does off the cuff to such a brilliant brother. Here you go. And with no recognition, no certification, no anything, but doing the job I could do it for 10 years. You know, like I did, I did numerous jobs. As I started yet, mindset, martial arts, they're dealing with something else right now, AB 180 or something. That's why we got it shut down. But when they get to um, ACAP, we for sure going to turn it on. So I did numerous jobs, buku jobs. I was, I mean, over the 24 years that I was incarcerated, out of that 24 years, I worked at least 21 
straight up. I worked at least 21 years, and the years that I didn't was like the time that I was in a hole and stuff like that. Excuse me. So how can I work jobs for 21 years? You can take 55% restitution from me. It started out at 22%. And 33%, and 44%, and 55 or whatever. I don't even know if it went to 40 I don't even remember no more. I know it, went, it was 22 when I got there. It was 55 when I left. And it was 55 for a long time. But you can get there, like me, merge frames, and work. And work, you're welcome. All that time, just like I did. And then when you get out, get a letter from the Franchise Tax Board saying that I owe them $32,000 in restitution and that I have seven days from the, from the receipt of that notice to pay it. Seven days from the receipt of that notice to pay it or from that point forward, they will garner, garner garnish, levy, and lean on any and everything that I receive or own until they get their money back. Not only will you not send a person back out equipped to succeed in society, you'll further burden them by now taking the little money they can get from whatever job that they're fortunate to obtain. But this is rehabilitative, right? Yeah, this is rehabilitation. This is public safety, though. It's not. This is in the benefit of the corporations. find incentive in, in investing in tough on crime legislation that destroys us and our communities. Real talk. That's what the reparations have been <laughs> Real talk. I should have a pension, you know. And that's what I'm saying. So, sidebar, ACA3, thank you very much. ACA3, they tried to, they tried to um, steal the narrative and say that ACA3 was about wages. Now, does ACA3 open up the door to have a discussion for wages? Of course it does. You know, we're not blind, we're not dumb, we're not stupid. Of course it does. It opens that door. <laughs> it's rehabilitating on supremacy. I'm laughing, but it's so sincere. But I, um, I don't know what that looks like. That's a whole other discussion, right? The ACA3 bill did open up a pathway to talk about wages, which of course is incredibly important, right? We should be paying people uh, that are working inside unless we want slavery. But here is Sam Brown uh, talking about this part of the issue. Well, the ACLU in their report, Captive Labor, has a, have a, they have a graphic and it talks about the amount of money that prisoners generate for the prison systems that they're locked up in. And so, and when I say generate for the prison systems, I mean, I'm not even talking about 
the people that they're contracting with. I'm not even talking about the money that's, you know, saved or any of that with the outside entities. I'm just talking about for the departments of corrections that the people are housed in. Two billion. Two billion is how much people who are incarcerated producing goods annually. Right here. Two billion. Then they produce another nine billion. Say it with me, nine billion in services. Anybody on here that's ever been in prison, know when you go through classification, the first thing they sign you up is for what? Support services. And so support services, that means they put you on a waiting list for the next time they need to snatch your ass and put you on one of them little plantation jobs. Support services are the kitchen workers. Support services are the porters. They're the clerks. They're the library workers. They're the, they're the, they're the tutors. So forth and so on. All this is support services. The, the canteen workers. The yard crew. All of the jobs that keep the prison standing. Basically. Because the prison can't run without a laundry worker. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they put you in these support services jobs to the tune of $9 billion. So when you put the $9 billion of services that's accrued from prison labor and combine that with the $2 billion in goods that's accrued or manufactured from prison labor, that's $11 billion. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the best mathematician. I'm not even a mathematician, but I, I'm pretty good at basic arithmetic. And two billion plus nine billion is eleven billion. Eleven billion minus one point five billion still leaves you nine point five billion to the good every year. So when you float this crap about the one point five billion coming out of the taxpayers' pockets and it's gonna cost so much and yada yada bing bang again. It's a scare tactic, and it's easily, um, it's easy to to expose as BS. And that, that what I just explained to you, has absolutely nothing to do with the ninety-seven billion dollars surplus that the state has. Because I can hear people saying, "Well, we don't want to take our surplus and give it to prisoners." That's cool. But I just want to, I just want to bring it up because it is there, though. You do have a hundred billion dollars surplus. We talking about ending slavery. Let's not forget. 1.5 billion is too much to pay to end slavery. 1.5 million is too much to pay to take out the incentives to destroy Bambi, to, to take out the incentives to destroy our communities. 1.5 billion is too much to pay to de to de to de incentivize and break the school to prison pipeline. That's what you're saying to me. 1.5 billion is too much for all of that. Annually. What's up, Mrs. Alice? Shout out to my boy Tyson. 1.5 billion is too much for all that. 1.5 billion is too much for us to pay to improve our society in ways that we've never even seen or could have imagined before. That's what they're saying. Because slavery is an anchor. Slavery is an anchor. And you know what it's holding down? You know what it's holding back? Our collective evolution. That's what it's holding down. That's what it's holding back. It's anchored in the in, in the in the waves or in the sea of white supremacy. It's anchored in the past. It's keeping our criminal justice system predicated upon concepts that are not best practiced today. Anachronistic criminological concepts from a bygone classical era. You hear me say that in my poetry, right? 
But that's what it's doing. It's keeping the system locked on that. I mean, come on, let's examine that for a moment. Let's examine that. First of all, even with the Magna Carta, when you talk about the Magna Carta, um, the documents that preceded the current constitution that we have, when that shit was written, you know where my black ass was? I was in the hull of the ship. I was in, I was, I was in the cargo hold of the ship when the Magna Carta was drafted on the top, on the top deck. And it was decreeing their unalienable rights and, and they Protestant this and they Protestant that. My ass was chapeled up in the bottom of the ship. It didn't apply to me. Constitution didn't apply to me. It never was, it, ne- it was never meant to apply to me. It still don't apply to me now. So those concepts that are still part of our American, you know, American jurisprudence to this day are outdated. That's why we're here with ACA3. Slavery is not the best practice. Slavery was not the best practice then, and slavery is not the best practice today. If slavery was the best practice, then we would still be driving a Model T and not a Model S. Why would we evolve the car that we drove, that we drive the transportation, but not evolve the system of government that governs us? It's not the best practice. It's never best practice and never has been. So those those outdated concepts, what up, Christian? What up, Jamila P. Scott? Yeah, those outdated concepts, it's time for us to evolve them, and we're capable of doing it. And that's why we're here rumbling that they don't. We tell them, man, it's time for change. This can be done better. We've been here for so long, this ain't working. It's time for something new, time for something different. And that's something different. It's equity. It's equality. You know, it's an opportunity because you don't even have an opportunity when you have when you have all of the major corporations, the major like big ones praying for your downfall. On one hand, you helping to create the circumstances that make me think I need to adopt criminality in order to survive. Then on the other hand, you're charging me top dollar for every little thing that I need. You raping me, you just you, you like ripping me apart from two different angles. But you, you're throwing these rocks and you're high in your hands like you ain't got nothing to do with nothing. It's hard. But we see you. We see you, Walmart. We see you, PIA. We see you, IKEA. We see y'all ass. And I'm home now and I don't give a fuck about dying. I speak up. I stand up. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to talk. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. Because I represent a whole bunch of people that I just left behind for like 24 years, man, who who find themselves in bad situations and they harmed other people. But at their core, what they were when they were born, they were not born evil. They were not born bad. And I know that. I know people adopt criminality as a coping mechanism. I know what the proper treatment and pro-social engagement that people can't evolve and become better. Look at me. I didn't talk like this when I got locked up. I didn't have this vocabulary when I got locked up. I didn't have an associate to arts and social science and associate to arts transfer degree and a, and a bachelor in, soci- in sociology and a bachelor's in communication graduating magna cum laude when I got locked up. I went and got that. You did? my autodidactic studies. I went and picked up books and read and learned and got a better understanding of what I was really faced with and how it became that way. 
But there are a lot of people in there that are really good. Mr. Checkpoint, what's up with it? Yeah, there are a great deal of people in the crossroads setting who are really good people, but they still need an opportunity. And that's what they're there for. They're there to be offered an opportunity, but they're not being offered an opportunity. Is it possible to find the change and, and everything that you need? Yeah, of course. I'm not the only one. There are people that are way sharper than I am. Yo, <laughs> there are people that are way sharper than I am, more talented than I am, more well-spoken than I am, all of that. And they're stuck, temporarily stuck, because we have a justice system that's predicated upon laws or concepts that are severely outdated, like slavery as punishment for a crime. All right, a bit of housekeeping here at the end. So we will be hearing more from Sam Brown and Jamelia Land Brown um, as the months unfold, because we are in this movement. We will end slavery in California. I want uh, to uh, um, ask that you please excuse any of the background noises. I really didn't intend or it wasn't my thinking to use this audio of Sam Brown, but I'm so glad that I did record it because as you can hear for yourself, he's incredibly articulate and um, intelligent and um, very focused and uh, knowledgeable. And I think we definitely need to hear from him. And so this was just a very impromptu uh, reading while he was literally on um, Instagram Live while we were waiting for uh, the bill, like I said, to come to the floor. So again, excuse me. I do want to encourage you to make those donations to KPOO uh, San Francisco 89.5. You can do that online and you can also uh, mail in by going to KPOO.com. I also want to encourage you to listen to the full interview with Sasha Lilly at um, on KPFA with um, Against the Grain, uh, with her interview with David Rodiger, and get his book, um, one of his many books, uh, The Wages of Whiteness. Uh, he is, again, a very fascinating historian. I also want to give you the address to write to Robert Jones, if you so choose the man who is in uh, Pelican Bay State Prison, whose poem I read. You can reach him at Robert Jones, D13808, PBSP, that's Pelican Bay State Prison, A3-104A, P.O. Box 7500, Crescent City, California 95532. Also, if you want to write or connect with Andre Tinnon, that's Andre Tinnon, T I N N O N. His number is 306 887 Wisconsin Secure Program Facility WI, P.O. Box 189, Phoenix, Maryland, Phoenix MD 21131. Also, pick up the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper because the story about ACA 3 and the killing of that bill um, is the front page story. And, of course, you can read that online at www.sfbayview.com. All right, that is our show for the week. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer. Love y'all. All of my love for all of you behind the walls and your families and loved ones.
You give me a shoulder when I needed it You show me 